You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European-level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode 29. I'm your host, Andres Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Jelena Levin and Pontus Spökman. Sziasztok! Всем привет! Hey, son, hey, son! Good to be back again! Yes, very good! Yeah, so... Yeah, good to have you back. We're on the same uh, continent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bloody hell, while I was out, Brexit is upon us. Yes, you should never have left. It's all your fault. Yeah. Brexit is all, yeah, down to you, Andres. Yeah. That's it. I'm bl- yeah, I'm taking all the blame. Yeah, yeah well, absolutely. Should. Somebody should. Nobody else wants to. Anyway, yeah. I'm ready for the shitstorm. <laughs> Okay. It's crazy. You know, this is this is my way of of uh, trying to gain some um some uh, more more ground for the podcast. So <laughs> I I don't think it's a good way to go about it. <laughs> Whatever you do, stop it. With all those comments and retweets and uh, and replies on Twitter. Yeah, that's it. Mm. That's it. Mm. Come on. Bring it on. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think I gotten one follower on Twitter after tweeting about Brexit about for about two days non-stop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Hey, uh, for, for, okay, but but let's make it clear what Brexit is for for those who who are living on a different planet. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's called and... who are living under the rock. <laughs> mm. uh, yeah, I think. So on the twenty third of June, citizens of the, of the UK voted for leaving the European Union with fifty two percent of the votes in favor of the idea, and forty eight against. I just want to highlight it. Like yeah, there, yeah. this is a very very yeah. important point. And um, skeptics, scientists, and a lot of other groups are unanimously totally outraged by the decision, um, saying it's all going to be a political and economic nightmare with a huge negative impact on science in the UK, uh, which is is very important to point out, because most of the funding for for science that is is brilliant science being done in the UK uh, is funded by grants from the European Union. Of course... That is originally being paid for by the the, the, the UK government in a way of paying the subsidies and everything. But still. Yeah, and it's not, not just the money. It's all the collaboration, all the things. And if, if UK is held outside of that, it's a big problem both for EU and the UK and uh, everybody. You guys are, are, are much more knowledgeable about um, economy than I am. I, I, I saw the British pound plummeting to a record low value. Mm. But then again, I, I heard some experts talking about uh, trillions of dollars in global revenue loss as a result of Brexit. Mm. Can that really be the case? You know, I, I'm, I, don't, I don't have any... Yeah, I don't have I, any I'm point. not sure. I, don't, I think that at most... This is a totally unique situation and people... Even experts don't know exactly what this will mean in the long run. Correct. In the yeah. short run, mm-hmm. there's huge uncertainty of what will happen. So everybody is moving their money from the pound sterling and from the UK uh, uh, stock exchange and putting it where they think it's safer, uh, wherever that might be. But everybody also thinks that this will be bad for the economy, not just in the UK, of course, but for, for, UK, for, the, for the EU as well. So everybody's mm-hmm. just, you know, panicking and uh, the long-term consequences will be... It's hard to predict, but they're not good. 
obviously we don't want to get into a political debate here uh, especially that we don't want uh, emotionally heated arguments uh, or clashing but what i'd like to point out is that there is a huge chunk of those people who voted for leaving the eu who had no clue of what they really voted on well, I actually want to uh, pitch in and kind of uh, read something out about that because it's a good point. Some of them didn't know what they were voting for, but some some of them did, but it turned out to be not the case. So I'll, if I if I may, it's it's not going to take long. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, a friend of mine posted or, or sent an, a letter to local MP. And I think it's a good practice to reach your local MPs within the area if you, if you want to maybe try to influence them in some way. Um, and this is what he said. Um, regarding the EU referendum, I fail to understand how under normal circumstances we have a system whereby we vote for MPs and trust them to act on our behalf in the best interest of the country within the intentions of their uh, party political beliefs. Suddenly, we have an advisory referendum where about half votes for one thing, slightly less votes for the opposite, and we drop everything and go with the people who want one thing. Well, Well over a quarter of the population chose not to vote. Not only that, but at least four of the major promises offered during the campaign, which the people who won voted for have been shown to be false or have been retracted the 350 million per week for the nhs a mistake and i know uh, i don't know how many people were following it on online but there is um, actually a picture of a bus with the slogan on the, on the side saying if we're paying 350 million pounds a week to you why why are we doing it? We could invest it in NHS. And now this promise has been retracted and they're saying, oh, that was all a mistake. We can't invest it back into NHS, apparently. We have always been in control of our taxes and laws. Immigration rates are unlikely to change. Again, that was one of the promises, you know, we were told or people who were told that if we leave you, then the immigration will decline. Mm-hmm. Um, the economy is manifestly not stable now, so the win was based on lies. Surely we don't have to pursue the path of leaving the EU based on votes for lies. Surely our MPs, trusted representatives, can use their experience and judgment to accommodate the wishes of the slight majority into some new and creative path which doesn't involve leaving our neighbours and being separate and alone in the world. Surely we can avoid the massive expense of hastily rewriting our laws so that they are not tangled with European legislation. The massive costs of renegotiating many, many trade deals Surely this result has to be debated in Parliament. It is clear to me from talking to people that a significant part of the Leave vote was a protest against successive governments' loss of ability to listen and respond to working people's concerns about increased pressures on services due to population increase. The vote was skewed because of that and the fact that it is another four years before we can make choice of government policy again. So... This is a really good way to 
like I, I know that people people who voted to uh, remain are really angry about people who voted to leave. But some of the things, the reasons why people chose to vote to leave were those legitimate reasons, like, um, you know, the, the strain on the public services, which is completely nutly true. And, you know, we can all see people who live in, in Britain, we can all see that with NHS services, etc. So there were some promises made that were immediately retracted straight after the, the referendum. I think it's a classical example of uh, how uh, pseudoscientific claims can be can be spread as well. Like it's it's all fear mongering, uh, spreading of misinformation, uh, uh, half information, outright lies. So that's that was all in the game and playing on emotions rather than real facts. Absolutely. Yeah. But you know what? What struck me really that was um, I I don't know if you've seen the Google Trends analysis. Oh. It's fun to see uh, a follow on Twitter. Uh, the Google Trends um, account, because it's brilliant what they posted there. Two hours after the polls were closed uh, in the UK, there was a 250% increase in the number of searches for the phrase, what happens if we leave the EU? <laughs> Two hours after the, the closing of the polls. I actually saw even better. I saw something like... Uh... The number of searches, I, don't, I can't remember the amount, but it was like thousands, uh, searching for what is EU referendum. Like, I'm not even, you know what I mean? It's like people don't even know what the hell they were doing. It's, it's not even with the referendum that is the question, what is the EU? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, it's, and it wasn't beforehand. When you go back in time, there was no peak like that. The peak came... After the results were announced in the morning. Fucking how? You are voting on something. I, I think there must be a real interesting uh, science to be made here by, by, you know, about psychology and how people, group Absolutely. psychology, how it works. Somebody must be really analyzing this now and, and, and having a real good time with this interesting data. Yeah. Well, yeah. If life gives you lemons, it's, just make a good research. I don't know. Oh, wasn't it laminate? Yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> if life life gives you data, that's what Google is for. Uh, Google Trends provides you with lots of data. Uh, yeah, make make some good research out of it. Yeah, it's it's very difficult to laugh at this this situation. No, it's rather tragic. But um, we'll see how the situation unfolds. The greatest problem is that it, everything is floating now. Everything is is so uncertain at the moment that that is what's affecting global economies. And and I th and I think regardless of what's going to happen, uh, whether the parliament will reverse the decision of, of whatever the EU referendum, the damage is done. I think we all can see it. You know, it and um, I hope it will be a lesson that we will all learn. But knowing human nature, I think... I, I always come back to that fact that we have a totally underdeveloped brain for the challenges of the modern world. So many experts have claimed on many occasions that, that this is a huge problem, that the wiring of our brain dates back actually to the Stone Age. So... 
we are we developed for, for for those purposes but our curiosity and and the way our brains can work actually made us capable of achieving everything that modern the modern world provides us with but then we are totally incapable of dealing with uh with with simple issues of tribalism and simple issues of uh of whether something is true or false <laughs> so it's ah it's mind-boggling yeah so we'll see but there's a lot of work to do for a lot of people around the world now about this it's probably the not not the the best moment for sense about science to launch the eu office <laughs> it's the last minute but they are actually doing yeah, it and that's great news it is great news and uh, there will be an event um the the euroscience open forum in manchester on the 26th 26th of july if i understood well what the the news and comment uh page of sense about science said about this the new office uh, director in the eu um Sophie went her out and I'm so sorry if I pronounce mispronounced the word the name the the surname but uh we'll we will try and contact her so that we can interview her about her work and uh the the upcoming challenges so she's uh apparently she's going to be there there is a page for signing up and we're going to put the the link to the show notes Okay. What else have we got? Feedback? Well, we have <laughs> Yes, yes, we got uh, some uh, more feedback from our friend, I will call him that, in Mostwirtel in Austria. We mentioned that he's starting up a new uh, uh, a group. He goes by the name Michael, right? Uh, sorry. Yeah, Michael Jakan, I think his last name is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's starting mm-hmm. up this new uh, humanist uh, secular uh, group in Mostwirtel and uh, he, well, it's rather funny. Last week we got our first death threat, but this week we get our first blessing. So he blesses us all in the name of the uh, flying spaghetti monster. So thank you very much for that. I think that'll be very useful. Uh, uh, Good. But um, he also uh, wondered if we could help him a little bit because he wants to reach people in, in the area. And uh, uh, he says he's now putting together their first meeting somewhere in August and he has a doodle uh, link that he sent sent to us that we will post on the, in the show notes where you can go if you're interested in uh, in selecting a date where you're available uh, of the dates that he suggests and uh, then you can show up to the meeting it will either be in St Pölten or in Melk so so they're still looking for a good um, a venue. Okay, we'll put up the 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 link to the show notes and uh, yeah, and we'll definitely follow up on the development of. Yeah. Uh, and thank you for the blessing. Yeah, thanks for the blessing, and uh, yeah, keep in touch. Thanks very much, Mikhail. All right, I think it's about time for us to to actually kick off the show with a regular segment that is on this day. Jelena. Yes, Andres. I'm pretty sure you have a person to talk about related to this day. Yeah, I do indeed. Today I want to talk about a person who actually died on the 1st of July. Um, and it was 1st of July 1976. Her name was Annelise Mikkel. 
So, yes, she was a young woman who died really... She was 23 when she died. Um, and the reason why I want to talk about her is because she underwent a Catholic exorcism when uh, she was 21. And so... Well, actually, 21 and a half, because she died uh, in 1976, and the exorcism was performed in 1975, so that's... Who did it? Who did it, actually? Uh, a guy named Ratzinger? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. Oh, boy, that would have been you something. See, you see, that's lost, lost on me. I don't and know that's who... Pope that... Benedict. Oh, okay, okay. There was another guy called uh, Priest Ernst Alt, but... So it was delegated. Okay, fine. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, she was born with a um, condition. It was a, a brain condition that caused her to have epileptic seizures. And she was actually diagnosed uh, with temporal lobe epilepsy uh, and subsequently treated by psychiatrists and prescribed various drugs. Um, but unfortunately, those drugs maybe didn't work as well. Um and uh, because she grew up and she was brought up in a very religious family, um, this whole disease played out in this environment that was full of God and worship and uh, everything else like that. So then um, as she was struggling with her disease, she became depressed and actually reported um, some hallucinations and seeing uh the uh demons and 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 the evil spirits um and, and whatever have you and so um after the um the actual treatment uh didn't work with with drugs um i don't know how the priest got involved i'm assuming because of the environment she grew up in her parents were connected to the church and the priest called Ernst Alt got involved um and he um Apparently, he said uh, at the time when he met her, she did th she did not look like an epileptic. Well, I'm sorry, but I don't think he was qualified to say that. But anyway, um, God told him probably. Well, probably, uh, and he believed that she was suffering from demonic possession. And then he urged the local bishops to allow an exorcism. And that was 1975. Now, exorcisms were performed. I don't know, 400 years ago, as far as I know. Nobody has been practicing them for a while, but uh, I back to differ. Yeah, oh. it's on the it's on the rise even in Europe, but it's very common in Africa, for instance, and in other places as well. Poland has reported a big increase. Luckily, and it's actually a thing in a place called the Vatican. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, in any case, uh, it wasn't something that has been performed in Germany very often. Let me tell you that. Mm -hmm. Okay. And basically, he uh, this uh, priest performed exorcism on her. In fact, 67 exorcism sessions, one or two each week, lasting up to four hours um, and were performed over a course of 10 months. And um, of course, they didn't do anything. I mean, they made her even more depressed and uh, she talked about dying uh, to atone for the, I don't know, the, the I don't even know what it means. Wayward youth of the day and apostate priests of the modern church. Anyways, she ended up depressed and ended up st stop eating towards the end of her life. So basically, she was wasting away. Um, and um, in 1976, on the 1st of July, like I said, she um, she died in her home. And um, uh, the autopsy report actually stated the cause of her death was uh, malnutrition and dehydration. 
because of being in a semi-starvation state for almost a year while the rites of exorcisms were performed. Do I understand it well that it was by her own choice? Well, um, she wasn't capable of making decisions for herself. If you uh, okay, okay, know okay. What I mean, because of her mental. But yes, so she, because of her environment, the um, her parents obviously approved of it, and this priest suggested that she should have the exorcism, and she she didn't disagree. She she went with it. So the practical side of the exorcism was made up of something else, and. Not feeding her. Well, I think she stopped uh, eating herself. So her parents stopped seeking medical treatment and relied solely on exorcism. And then um, her, uh, Michelle herself began... Uh, sorry, Michelle herself uh, refused to eat towards the end. So I think because of her mental condition and how it worsened, she just, yeah, I don't think it had, yeah, I don't know what, how the actual procedure, what was the actual procedure like, and, uh, but I don't think it was anything pleasant. But I can imagine her just becoming more and more depressed and, and maybe confused and, uh, and whatever else. So it, it, it wasn't like they, they were trying to starve, no, uh, no, she, the it, devil, the devil out of yeah, her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was her something. own, by okay. the sound of it, okay. it was her own okay. choice. So she okay, weighed, sorry. To 30 kilograms uh, by the end of her life. It, I mean, if you think about it, a 23-year-old woman should not Bloody weigh 30 hell. kilograms. My Jeez. dog weighs 40, so... Um, and... Uh, after the uh, her death, there was an investigation that was done into what caused the death. And uh, the state charged uh, her parents and the priest with the um, negligent homicide. However, and this is, I really don't understand why the sentence was so light, the um, state recommended that no involved parties be jailed. So mm -hmm. um, the priest paid the fine and um, the parents were never jailed either. Um, Interesting verdict. So there was a lot of controversy around the case afterwards. I don't think pe people who were involved were punished for it. Um, and as we now know, it brings back all the other cases we talked about, and actually not so long ago. Um, uh, the cancer quarks, the uh, faith healers in America, etc., who are all kind of doing... I'm not saying similar thing, but they it's all the neglect and um, people are dying due to the actions of other people, but nobody's actually... Nobody's been being punished in, in an adequate manner. So this happened, and um, 1976 ago, uh, it happened 40 years ago, and we're still dealing with similar cases, if not worse with with you know young kids dying because their mothers and fathers are failing to go to the doctors and choosing to pray for their kids instead so i don't see the difference but uh, i don't know i'm in a way surprised because i was hoping that we would have moved on all right thank you very much Anna. okay yeah why don't we move on to discuss upcoming events around europe So let's start on, on the 2nd of July uh, in Stockholm, where there will be a social skeptics in the pub meeting. And on the same day, on Saturday, there is an event going on in Romania, 
We don't know too much about the event itself, uh, because it's kind of secretive. Uh, but still, uh, apparently, Brian Clement, whom we talked about on several occasions before, will be giving a talk in Romania. So Yeah, he's still in his uh, European tour. He's still in his European tour. That is supposed to be the last stop of his tour. Uh, it would be nice to learn that uh, he's actually not going through with it because of the lack of interest or uh, lack of venues or the the lack of audience or whatever. So, yeah, we, we, we hope somehow it just uh, gets cancelled. On the 4th of July, um, in the evening, there will be a London Skeptics in the pub with Dr. Tim Solomons. Um, he will be talking about mind over matter and... Um, how can we learn to gain better control over pain by changing our thoughts? And how can a better understanding of brain help us do that? And on the same day, uh, there is a talk um, in Maidstone, uh, where there is a, another Skeptics in the Pub event going on with uh, Professor Philip Moriarty, the wow and woo of quantum physics. Uh, I think he's touring the country with that uh, with that talk. Must be very interesting. The day after that, on Tuesday the fifth, I will be talking at the Skeptics in the Pub in Lund, Sweden, and I will of course be talking about Brian Clement and uh, what, what what who he is, what we did from the Swedish Skeptics, and why we did what we did, and um, discuss a little bit what's. Uh, you know, applicable to do in si such situations. You know, it would be very nice to have someone there interviewing you. I could interview myself. <laughs> <laughs> but it, you're welcome over, Andras, if you have the time. Oh, I'd love to. I'd love to. I would really love to. And I, one day, one day I'm going to go. On the same day, July the 5th, there is a Skeptics in the Pub uh, in Cologne, Köln, in German. In Germany, um, and the speaker is Lydia Benecke. The talk is about Satanist murders and ritual abuse. Wow, very dark. Um, so that's in Köln or Cologne in Germany. On the 5th of July, same day, uh, there will be a skeptics in a, in a pub in Nottingham. Um, the topic will be, does lobbying distort our democracy with uh, Tamazin Cave? It's a very timely and appropriate topic, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, so, yeah, and the talk will be about how the, the um, UK's two billion, I didn't know that it cost that much, two billion pound lobbying industry uh, works and the tactics they use to bend government to their will. Still on the same day, the 5th of July. Edinburgh Skeptics are gathering as well for a Skeptics in the Pub social. That's Edinburgh Skeptics. So our friends in Leipzig has a Skeptics in the Pub event on the 6th of July. Uh, it's a social event. Uh, I'm glad they are keeping up their... They're quite newly formed, so I, I'm happy that they are getting these shows to be regular. So good luck to them. And on the same day, we have... Uh, Maidenhead Skeptics in the Pub with uh, Professor Chris Collins and he talks about soil science. Uh, 
there is not much information on the website about this talk, but uh, probably there there's going to be a few uh, more pieces of information as we get closer to the event. On the 6th of July, there will be Greenwich Skeptics in the pub with Dr. Gordon Wright and the talk uh, will be about secrets and lies. Um, Gordon is a psychologist researching deception and other aspects of devious personality and behavior. And lastly, if you want to hear Michael Marshall's excellent talk about homeopathy in the UK, you should go to Teesside, uh, to the Teesside Skeptics in the Pub on Thursday the 7th of July. Yeah, and guys... Uh, if we go through, uh, look through all these um, skeptic events, um, it really gets apparent that that it's very UK heavy, which is not a problem. But let us show them how many other events are going on in the European Union. So, guys, please let us know if you have some events for the next week, and the and the following week, and the following week. Um, so that they know that the idea is getting through and it's spreading. So we're all in this together. If you want to get in touch with us, you can uh, follow us on Twitter. It's at espodcast underscore eu. Or you can email us. Our email address is info at theesp.eu. We've also got a website, theesp.eu. Um, and you can like us on Facebook. That's correct. Please do. By the way, if you like us on Facebook, you could go on iTunes as well and leave us a review. A nice one, preferably. Uh, accompanied by five stars, probably. Preferably. Thank you. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you. Let's see what's going on in the news department. We have very good news from Liverpool, where the Liverpool CCG has decided to stop funding homeopathy. The CCGs, or the Clinical Commissioning Groups, are the local NHS organisations set up to organise the delivery of the NHS services in the UK. And uh, this stop to fund uh, homeopathy comes about after the Good Thinking Society last year challenged the CCG in Liverpool uh, on their decision to continue to fund these uh, sugar pills. That challenge then resulted in a public consultation, which has gone on, gone on for several months, and it was found that a clear majority wanted to stop the funding. So now the NHS has decided to reverse their policy of spending about £30,000 for homeopathy per year in Liverpool. So... No more publicly funded homeopathy in Liverpool. Well done. Congratulations to the, the Good Thinking Society. Yeah, this is a big step for them uh, and very big win for them, I should say. And uh, I hope it will have, uh, we will see a continuation of the same uh, activities. You know, we've mentioned again Sense About Science today and the Good Thinking Society. This is what happens when you can allocate the resources to, to, to the actual stuff. Mm. It gets done. So it's if and and especially with people on the front line, people like Marsh, Michael Marshall, and uh, and people like the great team of uh, Sense About Science, they can get things done. 
And that's what counts. Because there's so much shit out there to tackle. <laughs> and we have to do it. Yeah. And I hope that will be a great example for others around the world and around Europe to put up some similar acts. Great. Um, What else do we have here? Uh, Skeptica Schweiz. I don't know if you guys uh, came across it. But uh, our friend Marko Kovic, who's uh, the, the current president of uh, Skeptic Schweiz, and we had him on the show for an interview, he just came up with a, with a paper uh, with the title A Generalized Definition of Critical Thinking. And he attempts to put it in perspective, critical thinking is uh, in it itself, and... Uh, what the components are of critical thinking and what uh, what it is used for and what why is it useful and how it's uh, it's it's actually um, built up so it's an interesting read i do recommend it to everyone and uh, i will link to the to the paper on the show notes I do recommend everyone to to share it, discuss it even. Uh, There could probably be a few things that you don't agree with or you find it too philosophical for your um, skeptical taste. Um, But it's important to to be clear about these concepts. Jelena. Oh, yes, Andres. Do you have some kind of... uh, logical fallacy to talk about this time yes so today well i don't know how well known this logical fallacy is but um i think yeah i think people came across that one i mean i i certainly did when i read about it anyway um it's a magical thinking fallacy so It's making casual connections or correlations between two events, not based on logic or evidence, but primarily based on superstition. Uh, Magical thinking often causes one to experience irrational fear of performing certain acts or having certain thoughts because they assume a correlation with their acts and threatening calamities. So, yeah, I've got a couple of the examples. They are not... Particularly, I'm sure you can think of your own ones, but this one I, I like the most because actually when I first came to England, that's where I experienced that the most. So if somebody says, I refuse to stay on the 13th floor of any hotel because it is bad luck. However, I don't mind staying on the same floor as long as they call it the 14th floor. And actually mm-hmm. that is true also for uh, uh, airplane seats. I don't think there are airplane seats that l- uh, numbered 13. There actually are. There are. there are. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's really good. I'm <laughs> not that I have ever noticed flying from England. Maybe in. Uh, maybe I should pay more attention. Have you ever checked? I need to check, actually. Yeah. Next time I will. <laughs> um, so this, this kind of demonstrates the kind of magical thinking that so many people in this country engage in. Um, so, you know, the, the number 13 is somewhat uh, a bad luck number. There's zero evidence that the number 13 has any property that causes bad luck. Of course, it's ridiculous. Um, and it is a superstitious mind that connects that number with bad luck. And then the other one I've got uh, is, I knew I should have helped that person cross the road because uh, I didn't. I have been having bad karma all day. So that's, again, about believing in bad karma 
Um, and that if you, you know, do something that most likely um, will result in a bad day or bad year, bad year or whatever. Although some people, and me myself including, would like to think that if uh, a bad person does bad deed, he or she will be punished later on. But that's nothing to do with bad karma. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. But that uh, superstitious behavior can be very much reinforced by by totally random events. Oh, yeah. And that is a classical confirmation bias that that can reinforce your superstitious beliefs. Yeah. And uh, have you ever heard of um, Skinner? No. Skinner was a, a psychologist, uh, B.F. Skinner. Um, in um, I think he he did his experiments with pigeons in the 1940s. Oh yes, I remember now very well. It's about this little dance that the pigeons did for the food to come out. Absolutely. And it had nothing so what to do- he what he started out with he he did some classical conditioning mm. on the pigeon. So the pigeons has to, ha, had to uh, step on a pedal so that they got fed, and they got uh, conditioned. Then they started feeding them absolutely randomly. But then the the pigeons tried to figure out some patterns. (laughs) And it turned out that when when they turned, I don't don't remember if it was right or or left, but when they turned around before stepping on the pedal, and right after that they got fed, then this kind of behavior started to repeat more often. It's really funny. <laughs> it is. So that, so that's that yeah. ancient. It's it's yeah. in birds. It's present in birds. So then again, we're back we're back to what kind of minds we have. Magical magical thinking fallacy. That that was me. That's awesome. Thanks very much, Elena. All right, my pleasure. Pontus. Yes. Has anyone been wrong lately? They have been wrong and they have been right. Because today I will award two prizes. One really wrong prize and one really right. That's very kind of you. And they are very much... Yeah, (laughs) generous, right? (laughs) No, they are very much linked together. Okay. So, yeah. The really wrong prize will go to Northern Ireland and its ancient abortion laws dating back to 1861, still in effect. Uh. It means, in a way, that it only allows for abortion in cases where it threatens the life of the mother and nothing else, basically. So, in Northern Ireland today, 2016, believe it or not, it is punishable with up to 14 years in prison to attempt to have an abortion that doesn't fulfill the criteria. I really never understood this. Northern Ireland, 21st century, come on. Yeah, it's crazy. And to administer a drug to induce abortion, basically an abortion pill, to, to prescribe that to somebody without the proper uh, criteria of saving the mother's life. Uh, and I guess you don't do that via an abortion pill. But to, to administer such a drug is punishable with life imprisonment. So it, it, it's really crazy. It is, however, permitted to travel to Scotland, England or Wales and get an abortion there in a private clinic. You have to pay for it. But if you fulfill the the criteria for these countries' laws, which are much different, you can do that. And then you can travel back again. But of course, that's very, very expensive and people can't always do that. But 
Okay, so now the good news. The really right prize goes to two young ladies, Courtney Robinson and Lucy Simpson, who have found a fantastic way to protest these uh, crazy laws. So what they did was they uh, are based, of course, in Northern Ireland, but they were getting a prescription of the abortion pills uh, from from Ireland, the other side of the border. Uh, that's legal. They can do that. And then these drugs uh, were flown with a drone over the border to Northern Ireland, where they took the pills, and the press was there, the police was there, and they publicly took the pills. And uh, that was legal, because it's not illegal to get that prescription in Ireland, and it's not forbidden to take the drugs if you're not pregnant, because then you're not trying to induce uh, an abortion, of course. If you're not pregnant, you can't get an abortion. So it's not, in, it's not forbidden to eat the pills. Okay. And when the police ask them, are you pregnant? They refuse to reply and say, this is, you know, it's private uh, information. You have no right to ask me that. Anyway, probably not anymore. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it was all very legal, and it was a, a good uh, publicity stunt, I think, uh, for this. Mm. Well, of course, idiots who hate abortions did not stay silent, and I will not uh, quote what they said about this. Uh, but uh, I will quote the response over Twitter from Co Courtney Robinson uh, because that was uh, rather epic. She said over Twitter. There's a beautiful irony in repeatedly being told I should be shot by self-professed pro-lifers. <laughs> so so-called pro-lifers uh, are threatening to, to, to kill uh, these ladies for doing this. So to summarize, uh, Northern Ireland gets the really wrong price for having abortion laws from 1861. But Courtney Robinson and Lucy Simpson gets my standing ovation for being really right when flying the 21st century into a country that really needs it. Indeed. Cool. Yeah. Yes. Well deserved. Both sides. Yeah. Thanks very much, Pontus. Thank you. Okay, guys. It's been a very, very long time <laughs> since we had our, our last true or false game. Yes, it's time again. <laughs> So exciting, yeah. We have to do it now. I've been waiting so. Uh, let's dive right in. Yelena, I've been wondering mm -hmm. whether you have some tricky items for us, news <laughs> items, like. Yeah, I do. At yes, least do. two true and one false. At least two true and one false, yeah. Nice. Uh, Fire away. All right. In the early 1900s, uh, the following procedure made uh, one American charlatan who claimed to be a doctor very famous. He claimed he could cure impotence, infertility, and other sexual problems by surgically implanting goat testicles into man's scrotum. Item, oh number, boy. Two. <laughs> Item number two. <laughs> In the ancient Egypt, the contraceptive of choice was crocodile dung. Dried dung was inserted into the vagina, the idea being that it would soften as it reached the body temperature to form an impenetrable barrier. And item number three. The immunologist of University of New Delhi deliberately endured more than 160 self-inflicted snake bites in a bid to become immune to venom and to develop a vaccine against snake bites. Oh boy. Good ones. 
I believe all three of them. Uh, guys, who went first last time? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it was Andras. Uh, yeah. I don't know either. But Pontus, would you like to uh, uh, have a first guess? I would love to. All right. So, uh, first, in the early 1900s, a doctor in America got famous for uh, curing impotence, infertility, and other sexual problems by surgically implanting goat testicles into a man's scrotum. I, I guess infamous is rather than, than famous. That would be... Uh, sounds crazy. I don't know. In ancient Egypt, contraceptive of choice was crocodile dung. I.e. the poop. <laughs> I.e. the poop. And you put the poop into your vagina. <laughs> oh, uh, that's... Sounds terrible. That's never a good idea. I'm not no, talking from uh, personal experience, of course, but I don't think it's a good idea. On the other hand... The very fact that you felt like you had to add that <laughs> is suspicious. Never mind. Go on. I've said, that, I've said that previously on the show that my experience of vaginas are not zero, but they are limited. That's a very good claim. Uh, anyway... <laughs> <laughs> pretty one-sided yeah but i do know that people have always been very very uh, desperate to have sex without getting pregnant becoming yeah. pregnant so may so maybe i mean you know you try anything i guess and then we have the immunologist of uh, new delhi who deliberately got himself bitten 160 times by snake I wonder if it was the same snake. I think the snake would die before he did uh, to become immune to the venom. <laughs> the person was actually Chuck Norris. <laughs> it could be. And the snake died. Could have been. Well, it doesn't... Uh, Jelena, I... It doesn't, actually, it doesn't actually say this one snake. It just says uh, snake bites. But yeah, okay. Yeah, okay, okay. Maybe he had uh, 160 snakes. Doesn't say if he survived this or not, it was, if it was successful. If it was... He endured. Yeah. He endured it. Well, endured? Does it mean he was successful? He, he, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> uh, oh, shit. Uh, very... I don't know. I think I'll go with the, the goat uh, testicles in the scrotum. Okay. That's not correct. I think that would... You know, nobody would buy okay. that. Um, Andres, what do you think? I, I really don't know what to make of these. Uh, the reason being, uh, these are all pretty believable to me. So, like, the first one um, with the goat testicles, I vaguely remember reading about the Romans... Um, believing that manliness and some kind of manpower can be generated for um, boys turning from adolescence to adulthood by eating raw goat testicles. So if that person started... I, I, I totally believe that there was a person uh, spreading that idea in... Uh, the 1900s um, in the United States. That's absolutely believable to me. In the ancient Egypt, uh, it doesn't say... It, the contraceptive of choice was cro uh, crocodile dung. Okay, but it doesn't say anything about whether it worked. So, a contraceptive could be 
an attempt to use a contraceptive <laughs> and um, it it doesn't necessarily mean that it works so i do believe that too the immunologist of university of new delhi de- deliberately in- endured more than 160 self-inflicted snake bites in a bit to become immune to venom and to develop a vaccine against snake bites well i believe that this person thought it could be done, but that 160 self-inflicted snake bites doesn't say anything about what kind of snake, how strong the venom of the snake was, but I still believe that this guy didn't do it. It didn't happen. So I'm going for the third, number three, Item number three to be the false. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So we all believe in the crocodile dung D. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> dung D. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So I'll start from uh, uh, the top then. Uh, in the early 1900s, an American charlatan, charlatan who claimed to be a doctor uh, claimed he could cure impotence and fertility and other sexual problems by surgically implanting goat testicles into man's scrotum, and that brought him fame and fortune uh, in the land. So this this item, surprisingly, uh, is true. Are you can't uh, be kidding. The guy's, <laughs> the guy's name... Disgusting. The guy's <laughs> name is John R. Brinkley. Uh, he was uh, yeah, controversial American, um, and he became known as a goat gland doctor um, after he achieved national fame, uh, international notoriety, and great wealth. Um, so by basically inserting the goat testicles into humans, which is the most ridiculous thing in the world. So the problem... Well, the problem, of course, there's many problems with this. Uh, but he, a lot of his patients died in the process, and yet people still. <laughs> yeah, it's not surprising. Of course they did. Yeah, they bled. <laughs> who, who would not? <laughs> yeah, they bled to death. There were complications, all sorts of things, and yet men, time and time again, would go to see him in order to cure their sexual disorders, because it was such a, you know. It was cured, all right, yeah, if you die. True. No problems with infertility and impotence anymore. So. Yeah. Well, yeah, that might that might be the one way to look at it. Yeah. Um, okay, the, um, item number two is uh, about the crocodile poo that uh, Egyptians, uh, bless their cotton socks, used to insert yeah. that into their vagina where the sun doesn't shine. Um, it, this, this is actually also true, um, which... <laughs> Wow. I found like a, ah. a little sort of article um, and it said um, ancient Egyptian women used crocodile poo pessaries. A document dating back to 1850 BC referred to this method of contraception. Crocodile dung is actually slightly alkaline, like modern day spermicides, so it could have worked. On the other hand, it may uh, well have been that after application, neither party felt much like making love. <laughs> Just made me chuckle. <laughs> <laughs> Could be. Uh, I mean, mm. so it only goes to show these two first examples. That they, you know, people do everything for sex. It is incredible. People go stop at nothing. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, there were other. There were worse things that people used to stick up their vaginas. I found other things, but I can't remember what they were. Do we uh, want to hear that? No, no, we don't. Yeah. Uh, okay. Oh yes. no, I think I think there was another fun poo, another oh. another option as well. People so don't try go. this at home. But um, so that leaves us now item number three, which is false. Um, the immunologist who was beaten 160 times. But this item actually was based on a true story. There, uh, it was uh, a guy in American Wisconsin who had pet snakes, and he made he, them beat him over 160 times. Um, he was an amateur whatever called himself amateur scientist scientist um tim freddy was his name uh freddy tim freddy um so basically he thought that will make him resistant against the venom because he handles snakes all the time and so he wanted and actually he's still alive so after 160 bites, he's still alive. And now he thinks he's going to uh, help science to discover the vaccines, which I don't know how uh, plausible that is. Um, I, don't, I don't think it works. <laughs> it works like that. So there you go. But uh, and, and what probably will happen sooner or later, he'll probably just die out of, you know, because of one of those bites. So, but yes, there we go. <laughs> I win, I win. All right, good one. Thank you very much, Yelena. Finally! (laughs) I think it's about time to finish the show with a nice quote, if you have one for us, Yelena. I have a really short one this week. Uh, This is the quote from uh, Bertrand Russell, um, and it goes like this. The trouble with this world is that stupid are cocksure and the intelligent are full of doubt. That's all I have to say for this week. Mm, yeah, I'm cocksure that it's that it's the right quote for this episode. <laughs> what category? But, but... <laughs> we know what you're trying yeah. to say, Andrew. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. No, but but it is smart to question things. It is smart to to doubt things. But unfortunately, it doesn't make for the same convincing uh, arguments when you're saying, well, I don't know, maybe this, maybe that. People don't want to listen to that. So they listen to to, to stupid things. That are being told being in, with sad, confidence yeah. and, uh, and a self. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, for example, it was him saying uh, something about a teapot mm-hmm. uh, orbiting the Earth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Correct. And I'm cocksure that there is one. <laughs> okay just saying okay it's been pleasure again indeed as always yeah so thank you very much thank you to uh, both of you thank you and uh, yeah looking forward to the next time but until then goodbye goodbye bye bye This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub 
and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu, and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe. Yala. Uh, yes, Pontus. Pontus. <laughs> oh, fuck's uh. sake. Start again. Start again. Oh, boy. <laughs> All right. Okay. Come on. I am the one who just traveled through the whole world, or the half of the world. I know. I know you are. Yeah, and you haven't slept for 30 hours. Gosh, I'm worried. I'm worried about the hallucinations. I had a coffee before we started, so <laughs> I'm just people. running wild here. <laughs> okay, so, Yelena. Yes, sir, Andres. <laughs> <laughs> you had to think about it, didn't you? <laughs> it's getting worse. I believe all three of them. I believe I can fly. <laughs> right. I believe I can touch the sky.